Now, some of you, some of you grew up like me in Sunday school. And uh, if, if that was you and you heard the Sunday school stories, you would recognize this as called a flannel board. I, I started to, to think about this in the last four years as I've been preaching. I, I reference a lot of Bible stories, Sunday school stories. And I realize that a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have the same uh, growing up as me where you had access to Sunday school and you knew all those stories. But all of a sudden it dawned on me that many of you may not have grown up in church. Uh, your faith might, might be new and you came to, to Jesus uh, as an adult. And <clears throat> so when I mention these stories, you're going, I don't know what you're talking about. And I started to realize that, well, maybe this summer it would be good to have a sermon series on the Sunday school stories. That, that's a lot of S's there, but I like it. It's a summer series of Sunday school stories. Now, for those of you who did not grow up in a church and did not know these stories, uh, what I would like to, for you to see is that all the stories found in our Bible, they're not just random stories. They all tell a part of the grand story of God's Bible. That there's a thread that runs from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it doesn't matter if if you're in the Old Testament looking at some of the, the Old Testament patriarchs, or if you're in the New Testament looking at some of the disciples. It all tells the same story. And if that's you, if you have not grown up with those stories, I want you to be able to see that, that thread running through there. Now, let's say that you were one that did grow up in Sunday school, and you know exactly what a flannel board is. This, this is one of those highly technological, advanced um, media uh, uh, ways of, of telling a story, uh, where you have a flannel board, and then you have uh, pictures of Bible characters that have felt on the back, and they stick, and, and they were a visual aid to all of these stories. What I would like for you to understand is that I don't want you to just say, oh boy, <laughs> I, I know all of these stories, blah, 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 blah. I want you to be able to see something. <clears throat> I want you to be able to see whether we're in the New Testament where it's a little bit more obvious or whether we're in the Old Testament that you would see Jesus. That you this summer, in the summer series of Sunday School Stories, that you would see Jesus as that thread that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I want to see Jesus. That's what the story today is all about. That's why I've chosen to, to start with this story, because it's about a man who wants to see Jesus. Now, before I get into the story, I, I want to tell you another story. It's a story about a, a man who had owned a, a fitness center, a gymnasium, and, and he wanted to uh, bring more people in, and so he uh, had a gimmick that if you would place a membership at his gym, there was a contest. And if you could prove that you were stronger than the owner of the fitness center, he would give you $1,000. Boy, a lot of people came in. Dozens of people were trying this. This is how the contest would work. The owner of the gymnasium would take a lemon, and with his strong arms, he would just squeeze the lemon until there was no juice left in it. Then, here was the challenge. If you could then take that same lemon and squeeze it again and get even a drop of lemon juice out, you would win the $1,000. Well, like I said, dozens and dozens of people fell for this gimmick. They came in, they placed their membership at the gymnasium, and, and sure enough, they would try to squeeze that lemon and they could not get a single drop out of it. The man had squeezed it so hard. 
Until one day, a very slight man, short, skinny, not very muscular at all, he came and he said, I'd like to try this. I'd like to try for the $1,000. So again, the, the, the gym owner squeezed that lemon with all his might and all of the, the juice came out. And this little scrawny man picks up the lemon and he squeezes and sure enough, a drop comes out. And everybody's amazed. Nobody's been able to do this at all. How can this scrawny little man do that? They, they asked, are, are, what, are you a lumberjack? Are you a, a weightlifter? How are you able to do this? He says, oh, no, no, I'm an IRS agent. Savannah, you don't get it. That they, they, they take and they squeeze every little penny out of you. See, we have this reputation of, of, of what an IRS agent is like. Did, did you know that they've always had that reputation? Even back in Jesus' day. That's what this story is about. It's about a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, uh, if you knew the song, you would know Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Well, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man who would collect taxes for Rome. So he was not liked by his fellow Jewish people. In fact, he was seen as a traitor. They would call him a sinner. Uh, and, and so the, the people would always look down on him. Um, so you could see the people looking down on, not just stature-wise, but they would look down on him because, because he was a sinner. Now, they lived in Jericho. And one day, news came out that Jesus was going to pass by in Jericho. And so everybody was all excited about seeing this rabbi that everybody was talking about. So Jesus was coming. But because, because Zacchaeus was a wee little man, he knew that as Jesus was passing by, if he was there amongst the crowds, he wouldn't be able to see. He was so short, he couldn't see Jesus. So he had an idea. He decided that he was going to run ahead of Jesus And he found a sycamore tree, and he climbed up in the tree so that he could see Jesus. And sure enough, Jesus was passing by, and he came, uh uh-oh, and he lost some of his felt. And he was right there, and he stopped right under the tree where Zacchaeus was. And he looked up at the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, he knew Zacchaeus' name, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Well, Zacchaeus came down, and he was so excited to to be with Jesus. Uh, He he was very excited that Jesus was going to come to his house. So he was very glad to have Jesus at his home because because Jesus was such an important part of of, uh, of the, the, the time. But the people, they looked down at Jesus saying, I can't believe that you, this good man, would go to the house of a sinner, to go to the house of the tax collector. Well, Zacchaeus said, no, I want to change my life. I want to be a different man. And he says, I'm going to give half of all that I have to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house because this man is also a a, a child of Abraham, a man of faith. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that a great story? Now, what does that have to do with you and me? Well, that's that's the story. Every week, by the way, in here, I'm going to have the the flannel graph going so that you can see these stories from the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what does that have to do with 
us. Well, the title of today's sermon is, I Want to See Jesus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And, and I believe that it's important to see what was going on in his life in order for him to be able to see Jesus. There's four things about Zacchaeus in this story that I would like for us to, to look at from Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to give you them right now so you can write this down. Zacchaeus was hungry, he was humble, he was hospitable, and he was made holy. He was hungry, he was humble, he was hospitable, and he was holy. Let's talk about being hungry. Let's look at the first three verses of chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Zacchaeus was hungry, not for food, but for something much more eternal, much more significant. But you might say, but he had, he had a position of power. He had riches. Well, let me ask you this. Just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're fulfilled. Are, are, the, are the people who are richer more happy than those who are, are, are not rich? Does, you, you, you might say um, money buys happiness. And I said, no, money doesn't necessarily buy happiness. But you say, but it can buy a boat. And a boat can make me happy. And I'd say, well, sure, it makes you happy until you realize that it's a hole in the water that you just keep throwing money into. And then you finally you sell the boat and you're happy. See, just because... Zacchaeus was rich. Just because he had a, a, a place of importance in the government did not mean that he was fulfilled. He was still hungry. Because how he became rich and how he continued to build wealth actually alienated himself from the rest of the Jewish population. I, I, I want to read you from an excerpt from a Bible encyclopedia uh, about tax collectors in those days. It says, In the time of Christ... Israel was divided into various territories that were governed by the descendants of Herod the Great. But Judea was an imperial territory governed by a Roman procurator, and so the taxes there were very high. Wealthy Jews would then bid for the position of tax collector, and they would get even more rich by adding a substantial fee above whatever was owed to Rome. So tax collectors, also called publicans, would collect fees for customs and tolls on imports and exports and merchants who came to buy or sell in Israel. Then it would go on to say that the religious leaders especially despised tax collectors. They were considered unclean because of their contact with the, the uh, Gentile Romans. Their money was not accepted in the temple as a tithe and their testimonies would be rejected in the court system as they were considered unredeemable, unredeemable through the Mosaic law. Now, I want you to be careful because God never, ever, ever condemns rich people. Never does. Rich people can come to him just like poor people can. But he does say the rich have to be careful because it's very hard for somebody who has been trusting in wealth to stop trusting in wealth and to trust the one who gave the wealth to them. Uh, it, it's, it's often hard for a, a rich person to remember that when he has extra, that that's not for him. 
And so they would take their barns that are now filled and they would tear them down and build bigger barns, thinking that the extra was for them. And it's not because of their sinful nature. They forget that they're supposed to share with the resources that God has given to them. And I also know this, that wealth has a tendency to blind us to a hunger for something deeper because we feel like all of our needs are taken care of, so I don't really need anything else. Zacchaeus was rich, but something had happened in his life where he knew that those riches, that, that wealth, was not the end-all, be-all. It wasn't the, the most important thing in life, that there was something else that was out there that he was desperate for, he was hungry for. And so he had been driven to, to search out Jesus, to find a, a deeper fulfillment. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Has materialism, no matter what your income level is, no matter what, what your standard of living that you have chosen to, to live at, has materialism blinded you or distracted you from something that is actually deeper and more meaningful in life than just the stuff around you? Jesus says, be careful. Your life does not just consist of the things that you can own. You must be careful about that. Or, or maybe... Like Zacchaeus, you've had this little nagging thought in the back of your head that maybe this isn't all that life was cracked up to be. Maybe, maybe I, was, I was created for something more. As C.S. Lewis would say, that if, if in looking through this whole world for something to fulfill you, you can't find fulfillment, maybe, maybe that you were made for something besides this world. Maybe there's something missing. Maybe you understand that kind of hunger that Zacchaeus had. But not only did he have a hunger, he also, he was humble. He was hungry and he was humble. Uh, Let's look at verse 4. It says, uh, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I would imagine, you kind of read between the lines and see what tax collectors were like, I would imagine that Zacchaeus' life was probably not characterized by humility. When you get to be in a high position, sometimes that gets into your head, and you kind of think that you're better than other people. And it's hard to stay humble, as that old song would say, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. You know, you start to to, to not realize that there's still stuff going on in your life. So it would be very odd that this wee little man who may have had short man syndrome, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, when he was frustrated, instead of demanding of the crowd, get out of my way, I want to see Jesus. Don't you know who I am? No, instead, he ran ahead and did something that was quite awkward and potentially embarrassing. It would have made a spectacle of this man as he would have to take his robes and kind of tuck them in to gird up his his loins and and bring up the rope and begin to climb a tree. And, and, you know, that tree, the sycamore tree, would have actually been one of the the most humble of all trees in, in the Jewish symbolism world. It wasn't very noble at all. So, but, but discount that fact. Here's this guy who, who's got great position, great power, great wealth, climbing a tree, getting dirty, maybe scraping himself, maybe tearing some of his robes. Why? Because he wanted to see Jesus. 
And that, that word that, that Luke tells us to, that wanting to see it, 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 it talks about that hunger. Because it's not just I want to observe Jesus, I want to take a glance at Jesus, but I really want to get to know who Jesus is. Folks, in order for you to see Jesus, it will take humility on your part. It, it'll take you stepping down from being the Lord of your own life to see that he deserves to, to be on that throne. You've got to get rid of pride in order to see your need for Jesus. Do you know what God says about humility? James, in chapter 6 of James, quotes Proverbs 3 as he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Uh, Upon hearing the news that God had chosen her to bear the Messiah, this little teenage girl, Mary, would sing out, My soul glorifies God. My spirit rejoices in my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She goes on to say, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Folks, in order to see Jesus, you must be one of those rulers that have been brought down from your throne and come to him with a humble heart. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you, you think, horribly of yourself. It just means putting yourself in the right perspective to understand that you need a Savior. If you come to God saying, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't need forgiveness. I haven't killed anybody. You know, I, I'm a good guy. People like me. I'm decent. You, you, you've got to understand that Jesus came as a sacrifice for your sins. So humility comes into play when when you then confess, when you say the same thing as God about your condition. Well, what does God say about you? Well, he says that you're made in his image. Says that he loves you. But he also says that you have messed up and that you need a savior. So it's with a humble heart that we do confess our sins. It's with a humble heart that we step off the throne of our life and let Jesus take that place. It's with a humble heart that we acknowledge the truth of our sin. John would write in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Folks, that's so critical in our relationship with God. If we refuse to do that, We make him out to be a liar because we say, we don't need a a savior. And he says, yeah, you do. He said, well, but, but, but I'm not all that bad. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. But God says, but there's no one righteous. No, not one. So where does that leave us? We need, if we're going to see Jesus, we need to be hungry and we need to be humble. Thirdly, Zacchaeus was hospitable. Look at verses five and six. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, some of you might think, boy, that was rude of Jesus, kind of inviting himself over. Have you ever had somebody do that? They just kind of knock on your door and say, hey, I'm here. And you're like, I'm not ready for company. I didn't know you were coming over. Reminds me about the story about a, a vacuum salesman who was really desperate for a sale, went to a lady's house, uh, just kind of pushed his way in. She, she kept saying, sir, I, I, I don't need a vacuum. And he goes, oh, no, 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 this vacuum you need. You need this vacuum. It's the greatest vacuum ever. 
Went to her fireplace, grabbed the ashes, you know how they do, threw them down on the carpet, threw some more garbage down, and he goes, now I'll tell you, this vacuum that I've got, as he's pushed his way into her home, this vacuum, if it does not clean up all of this, whatever it leaves behind, takes out a plastic spoon, I will eat myself with this spoon. And she said, well, I hope you're hungry because we don't have any electricity. You've got to be careful when you push yourself in. Some people might say, well, Zacchaeus wasn't hospitable. Jesus pushed his way into his home. He invited himself in. But if you looked at verse 6, once Jesus said, I want to come in, Zacchaeus was joyful and he gladly welcomed him into his home. Have you ever heard the term, you need to invite Jesus into your heart? Now, that, that's not found in Scripture, that actual phrase. The concept is found in Scripture. Remember Revelation chapter 3? Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, Jesus has this desire to be invited in to our lives so that he can do a work in our life. Jesus was not saying this in Revelation 3 to unbelievers, by the way. He was actually speaking to a church. But it was a church that had grown cold in their devotion to him. It was a church that had figured that they really didn't need him because they had all that they needed. They weren't very hungry. They weren't very humble. But he said, I want to come in. Why? Because to be saved is wonderful. To, to know that your sins are forgiven and that you are heaven bound. That's amazing. But that's only part of the picture. That's only part of God's agenda for your life. Salvation is good, but he also wants to come in and change you. It's called sanctification. Because God designed you to be like Jesus. And when sin came in, it took that away. And God says, now I want to recreate in you. I, I, I want to recreate in you the image of Jesus. It's kind of like the booklet that had come out about 20, 30 years ago called My Heart, His Home which was a fascinating little booklet about how Jesus would come into our lives and he, he's, it's like he comes into our house. And, and we're a little bit embarrassed about that front room because it's, it's cluttered. And he says, I would like to help you clean this up. And so you think, oh, oh okay, I, I guess you can. And he begins to clean that part of your, your life up. And then you think, oh my goodness, I didn't do the dishes last night. And, and by the way, that's kind of what I'm thinking right now because my wife is going to come home from being gone for a weekend and I'm, I'm going, oh boy, what do I have to get done? You know? And, and then Jesus says, now I need to get into your kitchen. And you're going, oh, it's kind of dirty. And, and Jesus begins to clean. And then you, you think, okay, this is great. The, the downstairs is looking good. Just don't come into my bedroom. Please don't come into my bedroom. And Jesus eventually, guess what? Gets into your bedroom. And, and, and you have pushed everything in your closet and you say, you, you, can, you can do the, the, the room, generally speaking. Don't touch the closet. But you know the story. If you've been a Christian long enough, if you've been a disciple long enough, guess what? Jesus begins to mess with your closet too. You see, Jesus is waiting for you to be hospitable to his spirit, for him to come into your life and to begin to change you. Alistair Begg is a, is a pastor of the Parkside Church in the uh, Cleveland, Ohio area. And he, he was talking, I, I love to listen to Alistair Begg on the radio because he's got this Scottish lilt. It's, it's awesome to listen to him. But he was preaching and talking about our need to depend upon the work of God in our life, not on our own. And he, he told the story about King Jehoshaphat found in 2 Chronicles 20. 
where, where the enemies of God were coming in to attack Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And Beg says that's basically saying, Lord, we're just a bunch of pathetic losers. If you don't come and help us, we're sunk. And that's when he realized that that would be a great name for a church. The Church of the Pathetic Losers. Why? Well, because everybody can fit that description, right? You, 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 have, you, you have room to, to bring so many people in. Uh, Jesus is for losers who want to be victorious. So he asks us to be hospitable and invite him in so that he can change our pathetic loser life and make us victorious children of the king. Finally, finally. Oh, actually, you, you know what? Uh, I, I will tell you real quick. Um, a lot of people were upset that Jesus was going to do this to Zacchaeus because they thought Zacchaeus was so far gone, so far out, that, that uh, he didn't deserve to be forgiven. He didn't deserve for Jesus to come on over. If you look there, verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the, the guest of a sinner, of a sinner. Well, again, if, if we're understanding that we are part of a church, that we all need grace, we all need salvation, we all are sinners, then we're going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, where we welcome in everybody. And basically, Jesus is trying to say uh, through this and through other times where he was telling the, the, the story about the prodigal son and the older son, that, that the older brother that had a problem with the father bringing back this guy that had wasted all the money. And Jesus' point was, guess what? God gives grace. So get over it. God gives grace. You don't take that away from anybody else. Why? Because God wants to make us holy. And that was where we finally park with Zacchaeus' story. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus then stands up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay four times back the amount. You see, once Zacchaeus really saw Jesus, there was immediate fruit in his life. No longer was it about accumulating stuff for himself. He now developed a heart for others like Jesus wanted him to have. Now he could probably share. Now he could make things right. See, folks, that's what it means when you come to Jesus and you're saved. You begin to reflect the holiness and the righteousness of God. It's true of Zacchaeus. It's true of you and I. And Jesus commented on it because in verse 9 he said, Listen, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This man is a child of faith. This man has embraced faith and is showing the fruit of being saved. Jesus says that we are not saved because we're holy. He says we're holy because we're saved. Because he comes in and changes who we are. We begin to, to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And that fruit is the proof that we are saved. And so finally, we reach a conclusion that Jesus, is re Jesus reaches there in verse 10. Where then he looks at everybody else and he says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. See, we, we thought that maybe Zacchaeus was searching for Jesus. But Jesus just said here that he was actually searching for what was lost. 
Now, you can see that two different ways, real quick, as we, as we close up today. Number one, you could see this as Zacchaeus was the one that was lost. He had been a Jew who had kind of lost his way, had forgotten who his salvation was found in. It's kind of like in the 70s, there were the bumper stickers, I found it. And people thought, well, did you really find him or did he find you? And so maybe Zacchaeus was lost and and Jesus found him. But I I want you to consider this because this is actually very, this could very well be what Luke was trying to say and, and what Jesus was saying and Luke had written it down. That what was lost and destroyed was not the man but the God image in that man. See, in Genesis chapter 2, we are told that when God made man, it was the crowning achievement of his creation. And he breathed into him the life of God. He breathed into him the breath. Same word as spirit in the Hebrew. And man became a living being. God made us in his image. But as soon as sin entered into the picture, we lost that glory. We fell short of the glory. As Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. But we were made to be his image bearers. We were made to show forth his glory. But sin marred that, clouded that picture. Just like it had clouded it in Zacchaeus' life, it clouded it in my life. It clouded it in your life. And so when Jesus was coming down to this man who was hungry and humble and hospitable. He said, I want to make you holy because I've come to seek and save what was lost in you, that God image, that glory that that needed to shine so that when now people look at your life, Zacchaeus, they get to see Jesus too. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but because of what Jesus did for him, once people looked at Zacchaeus' life, they got to see Jesus as well. It's time to get real this morning as we close up and I bring up the the worship team. Come on up, guys. I want you to take a look at your life, whether you're sitting there at home or sitting here with us. I want you to take a good look at your life. Have you lost the glory? Have you lost that God image in you because of sin? When you consider all that you've worked so far in life for, are you finding out that like Zacchaeus, there's something missing? There's just something missing? I'll tell you, before anything else that we talk about here at Powell Butte Christian Church would ever make sense to you, will make meaningful, uh, mean anything to you, it's important that you come to the same realization that Zacchaeus came to, that you need to see Jesus, that, that you would humble yourself to know that you need salvation, that you might not be a murderer, but you're a sinner, and that that's, at the root of that sin is this hunger that you know that you were made for something better than your self-righteous efforts of being good. It's a matter of being then hospitable to the presence of Jesus, asking Him to come into your life, to begin to move into the rooms of your heart, to begin the cleanup, so that one day you can stand as holy in His presence. Not through anything you've done, but through everything that He has done for you. As the Spirit comes in and changes how you live, how you treat other people, how you face the trials of life, how you walk through this life with hope, and in the process, letting people see Jesus through you. We don't do this as often as we should, but I want to lead you into a prayer. 
And for those of you who have already made Jesus the Lord of your life and have accepted his salvation, you can just be praying for other people who are listening to this message and who have not yet done that. And maybe you have not yet done that, and maybe you can say something like this prayer with me. It's not the words that are magical. It's, it's the heart behind it. But I just invite you to close your eyes right now, bow your heads as we think about the Lord. Lord God, thank you so much for stories like Zacchaeus's where we see a man who did not have to be humble, but he chose to be humble so that he could see you. Father, you call us to be the same way. And I know that people are listening to the sermon right now who have not yet ever come to the realization that they need you in their life. So God, as they would be there at their homes or here in this place and they would pray something like this, God, I I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I have blown it as I have taken charge of my own life. I have gone the wrong way. I have sinned against you. And as a consequence, I have damaged that relationship that you wanted to have with me. So God, I give up. I surrender. I now make you the Lord of my life. I would invite you into my heart so that you might sit on the throne of my life. God, that you would bring forgiveness for all that I have done wrong, all that I will do wrong, God, that you would take your blood and cleanse me from all of that sin. But that then, Lord, you would take the reins of my life and through your Holy Spirit begin to change who I am so that I might not just have eternal life in heaven, but I can have an abundant life here on earth as well. So God, forgive my sins. Come into my life and reign in me. Rule through me. Change me so that people can see you in my life. God, I give the the control of my life over to you right now as I accept your gift of salvation and become a child of God. Just like, just like Zacchaeus, Lord, that's what I want as well. I want to see you in my life. And Lord, for those who have prayed that prayer today, I would pray that you would move into their life in such a way that they would know that you are there, that they know that they are cleaned, that they know that they are forgiven, and that they are on the right path now, a path that you will lead them down through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I would pray that you'd put people into their lives that they would be able to reach out to and find out what those next steps need to be on their journey. God, thank you so much for just loving us, uh, even though we were sinners, and that you came to seek and save us, and, and to seek and save that which had been destroyed in our lives, that God image, to recreate that in us. I pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.